perfect man, that's really mature, a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, this, he's just, he's just going to go into some heavy stuff that you skim right over if you don't catch it. He's saying, if you can control your tongue, it is the key to all self-control. Catch that. That's powerful. That's the key. Your whole body. You can bring the whole body into subjection. If you can bring that right there into subjection. Isn't that amazing? So if that's out of control, chances are the rest of you is probably out of control. Now let's go on. Look at also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. Look at what a great forest, or how great a forest, a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by where, everybody? Does he say after that, unless you're a believer? Oh, No. Believers can do it worse than anybody. Now watch this. He says, it's set on fire by hell, <clears throat> by demon spirits, for every kind of beast and bird, reptile, and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, filled with deadly strychnine, poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. You, you pray before you come to church, and praise God when you walk out the door, you get in rush hour traffic, and then you repent when you pull in the parking lot and come back in. All right? Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, James says, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, no. And remember we talked about seed bearing after its kind? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. If there is envy, bitterness, and self-seeking, that is, selfish ambition, where does it come from, says verse 15? Where does it come from? This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly. Wow, listen to this, y'all. Sensual and what? Selfish ambition has a mix of demonic activity in it. Mm. For where envy and self-seeking exist, there is confusion and every evil work. Final two verses. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, <clears throat> gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. <clears throat> Speak to our hearts through it. 
Put wisdom into us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it may sting a little bit, but this is going to be good tonight. <laughs> and I'm going to grab my water. You know, I wonder if I could get a little table to sit right here. Hmm? All right. Let's do that. Now, first of all, he talks about teachers. I won't linger on this long. If you want to be a teacher, the Bible says that if you're a teacher, you're going to receive a stricter judgment. It is incumbent upon a teacher. Now I'm going to tell you what a Bible teacher is supposed to do. There's two big words, or two Greek words. I want you to say them with me. It's very simple. Say exegesis. Eisegesis. Now about two of you did it. Let's try it again. Exegesis. <coughs> exegesis. Eisegesis. Now, all right, exegesis is taken from the Greek uh, prefix ek, epsilon, kappa. Exegesis. It means to bring or to draw or pull out of. Now, the Bible teacher is supposed to do that very thing. The Bible teacher's job is not to tell you what he thinks is in the Bible or what he thinks it is saying, but it is to interpret the Scripture and draw out of it what God says. So you have exegesis, ex, to draw out of. So any Bible teacher worth his salt, if he's going to teach, for instance, on a verse, and you ought to do this and just study in the Bible. If he's going to teach on a verse... He ought to read what comes before it, what comes after it, balance the whole thing out. A text without a context is a pretext. And the Bible teacher is to delve into that thing until he's able to draw out of that verse or verses what God said. Eisegesis, Epsilon, Iota, Sigma, Ice, E-I-S, Eisegesis means to read into. And that's what we've got going on a lot in our day. Sometimes I'll turn on Christian television, for instance. I, I can't tell you I'm a huge fan of Christian television. I like some of it. I don't like most of it. Because it just seems to me it's just, uh, well, a lot of eisegesis going on. Somebody will say something. And you say, well, where in the world did they get that? Because listen, you don't teach based on what somebody told you it said. You get into it. This is, this is, this is a book of literature. I, if I'm teaching Shakespeare, I don't stand up and tell you what, what somebody told me Shakespeare wrote. I'm supposed to become a master of the person and the writings of Shakespeare. So I can tell you, to the best of my ability, what he was saying. Well, if we do that way with Shakespeare or Milton or any other classics, classical works, of antiquity, what we would call in college the, the works of antiquity, the old ones, um, the philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, you go into a college class and they'll tell you what Aristotle said, Socrates said, Plato said, they're supposed to be masters of it, and how do they do that? They've, they've had to read it and study it and study it and study it and study it and get degrees studying it. And yet some people go on Christian television after hearing a few tapes and teach. And I can tell if it's eisegesis or exegesis. I can tell immediately, very quickly. What concerns me about the church today is 
We're, we're just not studying. We're, we're big on emotion and short on studying. So you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. What sets you free is what you know. And how are you going to know anything unless you study, unless you're taught or study? So the teacher is supposed to draw out of Scripture what God said. Because believe me, God said something in every one of these verses. And so James said, you better be careful because you're going to receive a stricter judgment. If you're going to get up and teach, you better have had your nose in that book and burned to midnight oil studying those Scriptures so that you can rightly divide the word of truth and teach the people because whatever you tell the people is what they're going to walk in. You can build false hope or you can build real hope. <clears throat> you can build their faith on something real or something phony. Uh, I, I am terrified sometimes at the telethons, for instance. And I'm not here to criticize, but who? I don't think there's ever more hooey in any given time period in the United States of America, except during a political convention, than during a Christian telethon on TV. The things you're promised, if you send in your $100 check, your runaway child's going to come home. Or the minute your check hits the mail, you're going to be healed. Now, you've got to be real careful with that stuff, y'all. Real, real careful. Because you're going to build people's hope on something that's not real. And then when their hope crashes because what you, they were told wasn't real, they walk away from God. Well, that didn't work for me, so it must not be real. If I teach you to believe God for something, believe me, I'm going to have found it in here clear as a bell and rightly teach it the best of my ability, because if you walk away from God because I told you something that wasn't real, or you stumble in your walk because I told you something that wasn't real, then I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. Don't you know that's what started the Protestant, Refor Protestant Reformation? There was a guy sent out by the, the Catholic Church that was reigning in power in medieval days. Tetzel. His name was Tetzel. And he was going around from village to village there in poor, darkened Germany and telling these poor little Christians that didn't have the Bible because the Catholic Church in those days chained the Latin Vulgate, the Bible, to the pulpit. Nobody had one. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. Because the people didn't have a Bible. Can you imagine that? The only Bible they ever got was if they went to some little church and the priest got up and maybe read a verse or two and that was rare. They were just taught whatever the priests wanted them to know. They didn't have a Bible. So Tetzel was going from village to village. Here's these poor little German peasants. And he's telling them he had a little cup. And he said, the minute your coins clang in the bottom of this cup, your loved ones are delivered from purgatory. Well, number one, there's no purgatory. There's heaven, there's hell. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between place where you half-bake for a while. <clears throat> there is not. But that's what they were told in those days, that, that you went to a, a sort of a spiritual hope-so room, hope I get out, and, and, and it was up to the people still on earth to get you out. And you may stay there a few weeks, you may stay there years, you may stay there a few centuries, and then get out. Purgatory. And so can you imagine these poor little peasants, I mean poverty-stricken dropping one little coin down in that cup, and they were told, 
hey, John just came out. Bill just came out. Frida just came out. Your aunt, your granny just came out. Praise God. And these poor little peasants would walk off believing that. Now, standing in the shadows one day was a young, brilliant monk named Martin Luther. He's standing there and he's watching this and his blood began to boil. And he said, this is baloney. And he single-handedly tacked his 99, 91, 99, which one was it? Theses on the church door at Wittenberg. And that started the Protestant Reformation. And single-handedly, this little young stocky monk faced the Catholic Church and put a crack in that dam until finally it broke and the Protestant Reformation galloped and that's all history. But what did it? Somebody who read the Word and rightly divided the Word and said they're not being taught the truth. And the truth, not Martin Luther, he just carried the truth, but the truth was like a battering ram against that church and, and what they were being taught. And it set the people free. And Luther's key verse was, it's, you are saved by faith, not works. And it was just that message, that verse, you are saved by faith, not works, that set the people free. Isn't that powerful? <clears throat> so very important if you're going to teach. So why did I tell you that story? Does that sound familiar? The minute your money hits, you're healed, you're freed, your runaway child's coming home, whatever. It's, all, it's called indulgences. It's the same thing they were doing back then, indulgences. You've got to be careful what you tell people. I do believe God blesses givers. You've got to be careful what you promise them if they give. Come on, everybody. You really do. Come on. You ought to be amen to me louder than that. This is, how many of you have ever been grieved hearing that kind of thing? See, some of you are afraid, if I raise my hand, God's going to strike me dead. No. All right, now look. He says, he says in verse 2, if you can keep hold of your tongue, if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle the whole body. That is so powerful. You can bridle the whole body if you bridle your tongue. Oh, the importance of words. Jesus said for every word you speak, you're going to give an account. Words. The power of, of words. Now, he says in verses 3 and 4, he gives two illustrations. He said, let me show you how powerful your tongue is. Both illustrations deal with something large and powerful being steered or controlled by something small and insignificant. He says, you take a great ship out there at sea. If you look at that thing from the shore, you see this huge, monstrous ship out there rolling with the waves. And yet, James says, what guides that monstrosity? A little rudder you can't even see underneath the water guides the direction that whole thing goes. He said it's the same way with your tongue. It's the same way with the words you speak. It's the same way with what comes out of your mouth. You've got this life with all of its facets, all of its issues, all the decisions you've got to make, all the directions you're going to go, all the people you could reach, all the people you come into contact with, family, friends, your whole life that is eternal, with an eternal soul, this giant ship. James is saying, here's the metaphor, here's the picture. It's guided, it's guided 
by the rudder here. It's guided by the rudder. Now you say, well, that can't be because look, you, you, there's all kinds of decisions you make. Why make such a big deal about the tongue? Look at that rudder underneath the water. You can't even see it. But there's a captain turning a wheel in the captain's cabin and it's turning that rudder and it directs the whole ship. You are the captain of the rudder. Nobody can make you say anything. Nobody can make you say any word. You choose to speak every word you do. That's why wise people don't talk a whole lot. If you're going to talk a whole lot, you're going to give a whole lot of account. I mean, if your job is words, you know, let's say you're a, you know, a radio person, somebody does a talk show two, three hours a day, they, you know, Sean Hannity, Rush, whoever, liberal, conservative, I don't care. They're talking to millions of people three hours a day. Sometimes I think, ooh, I would not want that responsibility because all those words are going out into the universe spoken by you, and there's tremendous power in it. <clears throat> he says, look at a, a powerful horse. I mean, just muscle and huge, powerful, and, 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 and can run so fast and can pull so much weight and this giant, beautiful, muscular creature, yet he's guided by a little bridle in his mouth. He is totally controlled by the bridle in his mouth. James said it's the same way with you. Listen, let me tell you what influences you more than anything else on this planet. Are you ready? What you say. If you're going to take what James said here, you've got to take it just like he said it. What you say. You get up in the morning, good Lord, it's morning. Or, good morning, Lord. You can gripe and complain. Listen, you can complain yourself into a pit. You can talk yourself into a pit. You can talk yourself out of a pit. I'm telling you, I'm not talking about positive confessionism, creating things and all this other stuff, but I'm telling you, the quality of your life and a lot that has to do with the direction your life takes has to do with the words you say. That's what he's telling us here. Right in this Bible. Just like that ship. Is it going south? Is it going north? Is it going west? Is it going east? What decides that? The rudder. Look, he says, look at your tongue. It boasts. Look at the great things it boasts about. You've got to be careful that you don't boast, say, prideful things. I mean, there's so many things, so many areas where the tongue can go wrong or it can go right. He says, <clears throat> like a match can ignite a whole forest on fire. One little match. So the tongue can light a forest fire. How in the world can, can it do that? A world, he said, it's a, it can cause a world of destruction. That tongue can cause a world of a destruction. A world of destruction. It has the power to destroy, to guide the direction of our lives, to bring healing. It says in the book of Proverbs that, that the wholesome tongue is a tree of life. It brings healing. It can bring destruction or healing, fire, demonic activity, or release God. The tongue 
is a whirl of iniquity, a whirl of unrighteousness. It defiles the entire body, sets on fire the course of nature. In the Greek language, when it says that, that phrase, the course of nature, here's the idea. Remember those old wagon wheels? In, in the old westerns, those wagons would be going across the wilderness, the prairie, and those wagon wheels were wooden and had the wooden spokes going out from a wooden hub. And you know, you were in bad trouble if you hit a big bump and the wheel broke. But here's the, what James is saying. It sets on fire the course of nature. Here's what's in his mind. It's in the language. It's like it's that hub of that wheel that was attached to all the spokes that went out to the outer perimeters of that wheel. If that hub was set on fire, it sets on fire every spoke. It eventually reaches out and sets on fire the entire, entire wheel or course of that wheel, the course of nature. So if your tongue is set on fire by hell, it reaches out to money, finances, relationships, self-control, everything, all the issues, spokes going out into your life, and what comprises the whole round of your life is set on fire by the hub. That's the hub. If demons set that thing on fire, it touches your finances. It touches what you think about. It touches the direction you go. It touches relationships. It sets everything on fire. But how, let's, let's flip the coin. If God is in control of that hub, if God's in control of the tongue, if it's releasing blessing and not cursing, it reaches out and it touches every issue of your life, your finances, your relationships, your thoughts, the direction your life goes, your success, the people you touch, everything. It works both ways. That's how powerful the tongue is. All right. He says, it spews deadly poison. Now let me just go over a few of those real quickly. <coughs> and we'll, uh, we'll look at them. I'm not going to spend much time on them because they're, they're too convicting. I don't want you to feel bad you came to church. But here's some of the, the poison. Gossip. Now, I know the church doesn't gossip, but this is for the world. Let me tell you what gossip is. It's unfounded rumor. It's unsubstantiated rumor. Unfounded rumor. Proverbs 18.13 says, It is a shame to us as believers to accept something without hearing both sides. To accept a statement without hearing both sides. It's a shame and a folly to us. But that's how something becomes an unfounded rumor. Jesus said if you get offended, you've got to go to the person who offended you and talk to him about it between you and him alone. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's no worse grapevine than the church. There isn't a worse one. It's been said that the church has a grapevine Ernest and Julio Gallo would envy. There is no worse grapevine than the church. All you got to do is become a victim of it once or twice, and you will fear the gossip of the church. It is vicious. But gossip is when you tell somebody something who is not a part of the problem, 
or part of the solution. That's when you've gossiped. Even if it's a founded rumor, you know whose business it is? With most people, it's none of their business. Even if you find out a founded rumor, you keep it between yourself and the one the rumor involves. But the church doesn't do that. I'm going to tell you what. Tonight, I'm going to tell you for a fact, the church does not obey the word of God on this, by and large. The church does not obey the word of God on this does not obey the word of God on this to their own destruction and lack they do not obey the word of God on this they will chew you up and spit you out like dog meat before they ever find out the real truth of of a thing it's a shame but that's the American church I can't speak about the Chinese church the Indian church I don't know but I know the American church is a cesspool of gossip. They'll chew you up. Slander is another one. Slander. You know what slander is? It's saying something about someone. This is the, the, the actual Webster's definition. Saying something about someone with the intent of damaging their reputation. You intend to damage their reputation, so you slander them. You intend to do it. Now, James just said, these things ought not so to be. There ought not be blessing and cursing coming out of the same fountain, the same mouth, the same life that's been saved, filled with the Spirit, can bless God one minute and then turn right around and curse somebody the next. If you gossip about them, you've cursed them. If you slander them, you've cursed them. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said sometimes the children of the world walk in greater light than the children of God. Jesus said that. And he was talking about money, but I want to tell you, in in these areas too, because there are worldly people who have more sense than to gossip or slander than do church people sometimes. Because they know the way it can come back on them. So they won't do it. Anybody with any wisdom at all, folks, lost or saved, knows these things to be true. Evil whispering. Have you ever noticed when you're going to gossip, you lower your voice? Why do you do that? Hey, you're walking along with somebody. Hey, 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 let me tell you. Let me tell you. I don't want to tell you, but let me tell you. Why do you lower your voice when you're going to gossip? Because you intuitively know that it's wrong. And so the minute you lower your voice ought to be a flag. If you're walking with somebody and they lower their voice, say, hey, why are you lowering your voice? You don't want somebody to hear it? Listen, if you can't say it out loud, I mean, sure, there's private stuff, you know, but I'm talking about if you're with a group of people and you've got to go, hey, you know, I don't mean to tell you this, I've got a real prayer burden here. As soon as you do that, clear signal, you're about to gossip. Evil whisperings is what it's called in Proverbs 16, 28. Evil whisperings. Evil whisperings. Lies. Proverbs 6.19, that's what you do with your tongue, lies. How about tail-bearing? Tail-bearing. Proverbs 18.8. Just listen to a couple of these. I'm about to wrap it up. I know it's warm in here. I don't know what happened today. I think we've got to get in here in the mornings and turn it on. <clears throat> Not right before church. Proverbs 18.8, tail-bearings. Listen to what it says. 
The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Here's a talebearer, somebody who brings an evil report about somebody else. And when you hear it, it's like you just ate a, a bite of food, it goes down into your body, and it's ingested. You, when you hear an evil report about a person, you can't look at them again the same unless you repent that you listen to it. And the minute that you repent that you listen to it, it breaks the power of that thing. You know, repentance is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Because you can be ensnared in something. If you can just go back to where you first yielded to it and repent, it breaks, it, it, it cuts it off at the root right there. If you listen to a bad report, I, one day I was in a, a room, this is in my book. By the way, Baker Bookhouse contacted me, they want another book. Amen. Now, watch this. I was in a room full of preachers, big shots. I was a little shot among big shots. I was just sitting there being quiet. And one of them said something about another big shot preacher who wasn't there. It was an evil report. It was negative. And I remember thinking, gosh, that was strong. And it gave me kind of a weird feeling that everybody sort of moved on. I didn't think much more about it. But see, the person that he had said it about, I watched on TV every Sunday morning before I went and preached because this person was so good I thought that it got me up to preach it just helped me I realized about six weeks later on a Sunday morning the Holy Ghost said to me why haven't you been listening to brother so and so I didn't realize I wasn't you, were, you haven't been and I thought, how come I haven't been? Because that evil report, like a tasty trifle, went down into my system. I ingested it, and it turned me off to him. Negative report. And so I said, Lord, I am so sorry that I listened to that. I shouldn't have been subjected to that. I shouldn't have listened. But I did. And as soon as I repented, it broke something down inside of me, and I had the ability to hear him again and be blessed by him again and receive from him again. See, folks, we don't know. The church is seeing through a glass darkly. We do not know the danger, the danger, the poison of gossip, slander, whispering, evil reports. We don't know. Because God can put somebody into our life. And the devil raise up an evil report and ruin your ability to receive. Ruin it. It's powerful. <clears throat> Not to mention, it grieves the Holy Ghost within you. I'm telling you, there are times you ought to turn to somebody and say, hang on, hang on. If they start giving you an evil report, stop. Have you gone to him about this or her? Well, no, I just wanted to tell you so, you know, so, so that you could pray about it. See, we don't gossip in church. We give prayer requests. But, but if you'd stop them, if this would just happen a few times in any given church body, it would kill gossip. If there were just a few people just moving throughout any given church who would say this to gossipers, wait a minute, have you been to him or her about this? Why are you telling me? I'm not part of the problem. And I'm not a part of the solution. Well, but you can pray about it. I don't need to pray about this. 
Jesus said, you're supposed to go to them. I don't need to pray about this. What, what am I pray? You need to go deal with this. The way Jesus said, what am I going to pray about? Pray that you go obey God, I'll do that. They would stop. But as it is in most churches, gossips and slanderers and evil whisperers run their course with impunity because we don't have the wisdom to know that as they do that, they are ruining the blessing of God on our church. Well, Pastor Jeff, you know, we're only human. Well, if, if that's the answer for everything, then why in the world did God give us the Bible? Why didn't he just give us one page? You're only human. And every day we just open it up. I'm only human. I'm only human. I'm only human. And then just go do whatever we want to do because we're only human after all. You know what he did? He gave us 66 books to counter our humanity. Wouldn't that be a great sign on the billboard outside of a church? You're only human. You know what? You pack that thing out. This Sunday's message, you're only human. All right. I've been in some churches, that might as well have been their slogan. You're only human. Go do what you want to do. God understands. He understands. No. Listen, he's given us his word. Y'all, for a reason. Hmm. Well, you know what? I'm going to stop right there. I know this has been difficult. But you know what, folks? I'm telling you, if you want to be blessed, now let's just close. Look, look at what James said in closing. How many of you want to be blessed? Do you really want to be blessed? Okay, then look at verse 13. And we're going to close with this verse. Who is wise and understanding among you? How many of you think you've got a little bit of wisdom and understanding? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, and that's talking about words, the words you speak, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Amen. If you're wise and understanding, one of the first things you will get an understanding of is the power of what you say. This is, this is the nuts and bolts of wisdom. This, you can't... You can't move on in the, in the, down the hallways of wisdom without getting a handle on the power of words and what you ought to say and not to say, what you ought to listen to and not listen to. Some of you, I'm going to be careful here in closing, I, I don't want to, but I'm going to tell you something. Some of you, the Spirit of God is grieved in you, not because of what you've said, but because of what you listen to. You should have turned to those people and said, have you gone to him or her? Stop it. Who am I? Stop. Well, you're a prayer warrior. No, I don't pray about these things. I tell you to go obey God. And then I don't need to pray. If you'll go obey God, I don't need to pray. If I pray, I'm going to pray that you obey God. I'm not going to pray for them because you're supposed to go to them. Because that nips it. Oh, man. Then you got a bunch of people in those churches scared to death to gossip because they know that the gossip police, the ones who are going to put them in their place, aren't going to put up with it. 
You're not going to do that in this church. I want this church anointed. But see, if you go giving evil reports, whisperings, gossip, slandering to tear down somebody's reputation, then you've got the curse of God on you. Because you're going to reap what you sow. If you sow slander, what do we say about seeds? It's going to grow after its own kind. Now, this is just, but if you bless people, that's what's going to come on you, and the blessing of God's going to be on that church. Some churches couldn't get blessed if they fasted for a month because they are cesspools of gossip and slander. You can't move to the right or the left without somebody gossiping about you. You don't dress like them, talk like them, look like them, do exactly what they want you to do. Or here's another deal that will cut you to pieces. If they envy you, jealousy, envy, you'd be surprised if you're successful and you share your blessing. We're real quick to weep with those who weep. But we're slow as a tortoise to rejoice with those that rejoice. If you get real good and blessed, here's what you can expect. Slander, gossip, fault-finding, nitpicking. You see the way she had her hair this morning? You see the way she was dressed this morning? Well, I, 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 just, I can tell by the way she's looking at him. I can tell by the way he's looking at her. Blah, 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 blah. And God's up there. Eh. All right, there goes the blessing. Because you know better. You want to get everybody to love you? Die. We love dead people. Go to a funeral. Listen to the eulogy. You sit there and listen to that eulogy. Who in the world are they talking about? That's not who I knew. <laughs> I've been to some funerals. I'm telling you the eulogies. I was like, who in the world? Because I know that the very people giving the eulogies, they fought with them, criticized them, went outside, fist the cuffs, the whole deal. But when they die, oh, they were so wonderful. Blah, blah. And if, they, if they're dead a good long time, we'll make saints out of some of them. If you want to really be loved by people, die. But until then, if you are blessed, they're going to shoot at you. Oh, I know. I, I appreciate that. I hope it is. I, I'm trying. But, uh, you know, I want our little group here as we grow to be blessed. And I want us to have wisdom at least on this. At least. And stop this foolishness. Stop this, this foolishness where devils can literally light your tongue on fire. Devil talk. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Mm. All right, let's stand up together, can we? <coughs> Why did it say they crucified Jesus? It says, for envy, they crucified him. What made those religious leaders want to nail him to that cross? Well, he was having all the crowd, all the success, all the hosannas. Envy, envy, in their minds, hung him on that cross. Isn't that something? Father, we thank you tonight for the wisdom that you have given us in James to watch what we say and to watch what we listen to, to have ear lids as well as eyelids, 
to shut our ears to things that we should not listen to, for it will poison us. It will poison us. We ask you, Lord, to help us to resist such things. Now, if you gossip, slandered, evil whispered, spread false rumors, unfounded rumors, things you didn't even know if they were true or not, would you take a minute and just say, Lord, forgive me? And if you have listened to evil whispering, gossip, slander, unfounded rumors, and you weren't a part of the problem or solution, would you ask God to forgive you for listening? And to give you the courage to say to the gossiper, go to the one involved, not me. I'll pray for you as you go to them. And if you've been a victim of gossip, slander, evil whispering, I know it's hard to do, but could you just say, Lord, I forgive the ones that did that to me? In Jesus' name.